And that old quote, do what you love and the money will follow. I had to really believe that because that was all I had (laughs) to go on. You have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. Discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Brought to you by your host, Dorothy Ilson. Hey everyone, my name is Dorothy, I'm your host, and it is such an honor to welcome you here for episode 18 of the Do Well and Do Good podcast. Today's guest is none other than Judith Eugene. Judith is currently in the midst of her second career. See, she was an architect and she really rose through the ranks of that industry And then after a great deal of personal turmoil, decided to leave it all behind. See, she realized that tomorrow is never promised. So she wanted to find the fulfillment that she was missing in her career as an architect. From there, she decided to found the Loving Hands Group, which provides life-enriching classes and healing therapies for senior adults and people with disabilities throughout the greater Cleveland area. Now, this organization is especially meaningful to me because I actually hail from Cleveland. So it was really such an honor to talk to Judith about the challenges that she faced in leaving her architecture career behind, you know, why she chose to make the Loving Hands Group a for-profit business instead of a nonprofit organization, and advice that she would give to anyone else who is looking to find more fulfillment in their lives and really do something that is meaningful and, and has purpose behind it. So I know you're going to love this conversation as much as I did. Without further ado, here's Judith. Judith, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm thrilled to have you here. Thank you for your interest. I appreciate it. So Judith, I'd love to start with your journey before beginning the Loving Hands Group. Could you tell us what your first job was when you started your career? Yes. um, The Loving Hands Group is a second career for me. I was an architect for 20 years before changing. I had a series of things that happened in my life about nine years ago. It just led me to just take a different path with my career. What led you to get into architecture originally? Well, I like math and I also like science and I also like art. And it was a logical combination of all of those things. And I was also really fortunate in junior high school. I took a summer vacation um, to Europe and went with my friend's family and her father was an architect. So he gave us the architect's tour of Italy and Greece and Austria. So that really made an impression on me. Where was your first job as an architect after you finished school? New York City. So when I graduated uh, with my degree, there wasn't a whole lot of work in my hometown of Cleveland. So moved to New York City and I practiced there for 10 years. And then I practiced in the Washington DC area for about 12 years before moving back to Cleveland. So As you moved throughout your career as an architect, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced? Well, I guess working your way up the ladder, so to speak. So just different levels of opportunity, different types of experience, uh, figuring out, you know, what type of architecture I wanted to work on, whether I wanted to work for a large firm or a small firm. So all of those things you kind of learn on the job. So 
that was a big part of it. And then passing the licensing exam was another big challenge as well. Going all the way back, actually, could you tell us a little bit about what beliefs around money that your family instilled in you growing up and you know, whether those were helpful or harmful to you in achieving success in your first career as an architect? Sure. My, both my parents were born during the time of the Great Depression. So when we were growing up, we were taught to be very thrifty with money. I think that was a very good thing because it taught me the value of money and how to work for the things that you want, how to make those things happen. So, you know, for example, if I, in junior high school, if I wanted a pair of the latest designer jeans, whatever those were, I had to work to earn that money to buy them. So I had to babysit or do other things to earn that. When I started working in, in architecture and especially working in those major metropolitan cities, the wages were, were fairly high. So actually right out of college, I was very fortunate to get a very high paying job, which was a really nice thing that young. How did your attitude towards money change or evolve as you achieved success in your career? You know, during, so during architecture, your, your measure of success is an increase in job title and an increase in income. It's sort of that standard gauge of success. And then when I decided to leave that field and start my new business completely from scratch, I, you know, I went from making X to making zero pretty much. And so um, I did have to really take a look at my attitudes towards money and trying very hard to stay out of fear about that is, is another thing that has helped me a lot in my journey to just know within my heart of hearts that I am doing the right thing, what's best for me in my life, following my mission, following my heart. And that old, you know, quote, do what you love and the money will follow. I had to really believe that because uh, that was all I had <laughs> to go on. Was that the result of any sort of deliberate mindset practice or you know, kind of personal development work? Or was that just an attitude that you've always had to some degree? No, it is not an attitude I've always had. So, so about nine years ago, when, when I decided to make this career change, there were a whole series of things that, that happened that led to that. My mother passed away uh, very unexpectedly, and she and I were very close and I went through a divorce. I ended up getting laid off from my job, my architecture job at the time. And then I lost my house and all of those things were all within one year. And I didn't have the tools to handle that. And it was, so it was a series of deliberate course of personal growth to help me find the tools to not only get through all that, but to actually thrive in the midst of all that. And you know, those kinds of things take a while to get over, but now on the other side of those things and, and looking back, I can see that, that those things got me where I was meant to be. And I absolutely believe that this organization now is absolutely what I should be doing with my life. So often, I think we have these, what feel like devastating, you know, changes where, you know, a, a career goes away, you get laid off or something happens that at the time seems like the end of the world. And then in hindsight, you find that it was really what needed to happen to get you to where you were supposed to be and ultimately where you want to be. What advice would you give to someone who's kind of in the midst of that? Because I'm sure at the time, you know, when you got laid off and then you have all these things in your personal life, I imagine it was hard to take that kind of optimistic viewpoint, was it? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's really hard to step outside of that and see it from a neutral perspective when you're in the middle of it and you just feel like you're in this tornado going round and round. But now, you know, especially in becoming a business owner, talking to a lot of other business owners, and it's something that that you hear is quite common that people go through some loss or grief or turmoil or upheaval in their lives, and it leads them to have to think about things differently. And then they, you know, start new businesses as a result of that. And Sometimes I think, you know, it's the universe's friendly way of just knocking us on the head or tapping us on the shoulder and going, no, 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 no. We want you to go over here now and do this. So that's just what I believe. (laughs) Absolutely. I actually read a book probably about a year ago at this point. It's called The Art of Happiness. And it basically is all about exactly that, that if you act with the belief that everything that happens to you is the best possible thing that could happen to you. It changes how you react to a situation because really we can only control so much what happens to us, but we can control completely how we react to it and how we respond, which really ultimately is what makes the difference in the way that things turn out. That is so true. Because when you look back on your life and you say, okay, how much of my life has actually turned out the way I planned it? (laughs) Most people would say, "Mm, probably not much at all. But it all turns out. And so that's exactly what you said. That's a big lesson. And I just, just life in general, but especially in business ownership is you really have to roll with it because we don't know, you know, we would love to have the crystal ball, but we don't have one. And I really have come to believe that if your intention, your motivation is to be your best self, to use your gifts and talents in a way that serves others, that the universe finds a way to make that happen. There's no way that we could possibly iron out and know in advance what all the details are going to be. So we have to be able to do exactly what you said is just, you know, something happens that we can't control. And it's done. It's happened. Our, our only, the only thing we have control over is our response to that. Well, you have absolutely done everything that you've described with the Loving Hands group and the way that you are impacting families in the Cleveland area now. But like you mentioned, you, you went from this very successful career as an architect in New York and DC. You'd achieved financial success early on. And then you go from that to starting a business and having zero income. So was that an emotional roller coaster for you? Like, what was it like going from that kind of financial success to, you know, starting a business from scratch? I had to have a lot of faith. Um, It was hard staying out of fear and That's something that I think you really, as a business owner, need to cultivate the ability to do that is to really, as you said earlier, have that belief that whatever happens to us is absolutely the best thing. And that even if it doesn't go as planned, that we will, you'll be able to pick up the pieces. And, you know, with that said, the bills still come in every month. So it is a reality. The need for income to live is a reality. But what I do find is that, like I said before, if your intention is to be your, your best self and to help others, that things will happen. With that said, you know, you can have the best idea for a business. You can have the best of intentions and the biggest heart, but it, it takes time and nothing but time for 
the general public to get to know you, to hear about you, to understand what you do, to trust you, to remember you, and then to hire you. And that does take time. You know, you have to have, um, you have to dig your heels in. And sometimes it takes longer than you wish it would. (laughs) That's definitely true. So Judith, tell us the story of how the Loving Hands group was born. So you're at that point in your life. You've had all of this turmoil personally. Um, You know, you are moving on from your career as an architect. Where was the idea born? You know, what led to the creation of this business that you run now? So I had always wanted to do something helpful to the community in some way, and I had planned to do that in retirement. And then around the time uh, that, you know, my mother's death and I started reassessing my life and I started realizing, wow, tomorrow is never promised. And I started to just think about ideas that I could start giving back right then. And I had planned to do it part-time within my architecture career But then when I went through my divorce and ended up getting laid off from my job, I knew the cost of living was so high in Washington, D.C., it would have been really, really hard to start a business from scratch there. So that's when I decided that it was time to go home. And then around that same time, I met an old friend from high school who is a photographer, and he goes into nursing homes and takes portraits of the residents of the nursing home. And the nursing home pays him. And the residents love it because they get to get all dolled up and get ready for their, their pictures. And I thought, wow, he's doing something he loves to do, loves photography. He's helping people in the process. He's getting paid. The nursing home gets to advertise it as a perk for something they offer their residents. Wow, that is a win-win-win situation for everybody. How great of a career is that? And then so I started thinking, well, gosh, you know, what do I have to offer people? So start thinking about seniors and also people with disabilities because they're, they both are members, sections of our society that tend to be segregated and separated and don't have as many options as the rest of us do. So you think about, you know, you have this big life and, and it's shrunk down to a limited number of options. So decided to work with those populations and then decided part of our business model is to, is to offer option and, and we do a lot, so do a lot of education and um, fun stuff as well too, but really neat and different interesting things that people may not ordinarily get exposed to. So then was there a question for you at the beginning of whether it would be a business or whether it would be a nonprofit? How did you work through that question? That's a question that kept popping up for the first several years. So because, right, we usually think that if you're in a benevolent line of work, automatically it needs to be a nonprofit organization. And from just being one person, so I, I run the business on my own and I, and I know how many hours I spend and how much is involved in that. And the more I started looking into being a nonprofit organization, It does make other types of funding available, but it doesn't guarantee that funding. And I've talked to a couple of nonprofit business owners and they said, you know, you you end up working just as hard to get the grant funding as you get, as you work, you know, to get paying clients. And one, my, my business advisor, a good friend of mine said, look at it this way. He said, is not being a not for profit keeping you from getting business? And that was a great way to pose that because the answer to that was no, which meant it's okay for me not to need to do that right now. 
I may change that in the future because there are other groups that I'd like to work with, such as veterans and the homeless, where I would need to be able to offer a sliding scale. And I might need to, you know, at least maybe do a branch of the business that's not for profit in the future. I still have that door open. It's such an interesting theme that actually has come up on the show before that it is almost an assumption that if you're going to start an organization whose mission is to do good and to help people, that you need to be a nonprofit. But it simply isn't true. I mean, there are so many ways that for-profit businesses can really create their entire business model in a way that is, you know, serving people and helping the world and achieving the mission that they've set out to achieve uh, without necessarily needing to have the nonprofit designation. Right. I think that's true. And it's probably different, you know, for every type of business. So, so people should definitely do their own research depending on what line of work they're going into. But that is what I found, that it hasn't been necessary for us so far to do that, right? So tell us more about you know, specifically what your work looks like with the Loving Hands Group and what you do for these seniors and your clients. So this was an interesting lesson that I needed to learn at the very beginning. It's like, you know, business 101, you have to figure out who your, who your customers are. And so since we're working with seniors and working with the disabled, I began advertising to seniors and the disabled. And I realized they are often not the decision makers in their own lives, that they have caretakers who are doing that for them. And it took me a couple years of running up against a few brick walls to figure that one out. So now that we've got that figured out, so it, it looks a little bit different depending on which group we're working for. So working with seniors, for example, we work with active senior, active independent seniors still living at home all the way up through assisted living, nursing care, and memory care. So with individuals, we do some work like visiting people one-on-one at home. Maybe the family lives out of town or can't visit as often as they would like to or in the wintertime when it's harder for the senior to get out, we just do personal visits with them. So whether they live at home, whether they live in assisted living, we do that. We also act as another pair of eyes and ears for the family. So just making sure that everything's okay, that the person is eating, that, that if they're in a care facility, that they're getting the proper care that they should be getting. And then we also work with groups. So whether it's a senior center or assisted living or nursing home, we'll often work through the activities directors at those locations to come in and do programs with groups of folks. And then working with people with disabilities, we've been working a lot with the county government and then also with individual companies who provide services. And again, they have us come in and work work with groups of their individuals and It's kind of neat what's been happening now in the last year is these two groups are actually overlapping. There's a, has been for a while, a big movement in the care community for people with disabilities to get them desegregated and bring them out in the community. So we found a really great synergy occurs when we bring people with disabilities into the assisted living or the nursing home and and we all get to do fun stuff together. And both groups learn from each other and, and help each other in some really beautiful ways. That's absolutely amazing, Judith. It's so wonderful what you're doing to kind of take a population that can so easily be marginalized and bring them into the larger senior community in a way that is inclusive and is really beneficial to everyone. 
You mentioned at the beginning there that you did run into some brick walls, as you said, uh, when you were first trying to figure out who your customer actually was. Did you have any moments where you thought about giving up? I mean, what? tell us the story of you know, one of those moments of resistance. A popular thing um, with people who work with seniors is to have uh, health fairs where you'll be in a big gymnasium somewhere and everybody will have a table and the seniors will come in and go around and get information from all the tables. And so I, I did, I don't know, 8,000 of those, and I'm, you know, 8,001 and I'm realizing, you know, I really, nobody is calling me from these and what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? It just occurred to me that, that I was going at it the wrong way and that, the, that I needed to approach the people who were taking care of the seniors and not the seniors themselves because as we said before, you know, so they're not often in charge of their own finances, first of all. And those, those that are, they're on limited means or they, another thing that we were finding among the seniors is that a lot of times they don't think that they need help. They don't need this kind of thing. So yeah, that was a big lesson for me to learn and figure out. Judith, how has your definition of fulfillment changed as you moved from your first career as an architect into now your second career as the founder of the Loving Hands Group? That is a really great question because I don't think I knew what fulfillment was until I started this organization. And even in the days, the lean days, you know, where, where the money was just starting to get going, I still felt a tremendous amount of fulfillment that I had never felt before. You know, I think every single job is noble. Architecture definitely helps people. You're solving problems for people. But it was, you know, something where I was solving problems for, you know, just maybe like four or five families a year. Whereas with the Loving Hands group, you know, we're touching hundreds of people a week. So when you find that thing that really sets your soul on fire, the, the sense of fulfillment comes just from the doing it. It didn't necessarily have to be measured by success or numbers or dollars that, you know, comes later. And that definitely is a reflection, but just changing the life of one person is phenomenal. And one of my favorite stories that it's hell goes back to my early days. It was my, my very first, one of the things that I teach is yoga. And so my very first yoga clients were a married couple, both living at home, both 103 years old. And their doctor had suggested that they try yoga to help with their flexibility and their balance. And they were so concerned and, and understandably so. So, you know, I talked to both of them at length on the phone before I even went over there and they, they agreed to try one class. So we went in and the way we do all of our programs is we meet people where they are. So we teach, but we don't have any predetermined notions of what the outcome is going to be. We just let people do their best. Whatever their best is, is perfect. So that was the approach that I take with yoga. So worked with this couple and just figured out, you know, where they were, challenged them a little bit, but not too much. And at the end, as, as I was leaving, the, the wife pulled me aside and she said, thank you for treating us like people, not like old people. Wow. Oh, that's so powerful. And that to me is the definition of success. Those little things every single day are just the markers of that, of 
And sometimes that's what has to keep you going when all the other things are, you know, the business side of things are kind of chaotic. But those little beautiful things remind you of why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. And I think that it is also important for people to understand that your fulfillment doesn't necessarily need to come from the main way that you make money. So I would imagine that looking back on your career as an architect, for someone who's in a position like that now where they don't necessarily feel that level of deep fulfillment from their job, you know, there are so many things that you can do outside of work to help give you that sense of fulfillment and do more to give back from wherever you are, even if you know, you're not in a place to actually have that be your business or you know, start a nonprofit or anything like that. Would you agree? Oh, that's very true. Yes. Yep. There are a lot of volunteer opportunities for people. And yeah, even starting something part-time is another option as well. So yeah, I don't necessarily think that people have to do what I did and, you know, give up a career to to start something. If you feel drawn to do that, definitely. But yeah, it can certainly be something that you can do in addition to, you know, your primary source of income for sure. What advice would you give to someone who is looking to create a for-profit business that is really centered around giving back in the way that yours is? I would say the biggest piece of advice would be to really listen to your heart. Get clear on what you would like to do and what your motivations are and stick to that because you will find people with contradicting opinions about it. Um, as you will anything that you discuss with a group of people, you'll find conflicting opinions about it. You know, in one of the classes I teach with my seniors, I say you can be kind and courteous to people without necessarily having to take all of their advice. You know, just find a polite, polite way to say, thank you, I'll consider that, and then just go back on to your course of action. So, you know, your life is your life, and you know best what sets you on fire and what you think is the best use of your gifts and your talents and your skills in order to change the world in whatever way you think is important to change the world. Judith, that is absolutely amazing. And I think a perfect place for us to end that part of our conversation and move into the impact round. So I'm going to ask you a series of short questions, and I'd like for you to respond with the first answer that pops into your head. Are you ready? Sure. All right. So who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve financial success? I would say my brother, Don, actually. He's, he's also a business owner and he's been doing it for longer than I have. And you know, his, his, his totally different line of work, but also his motivation is to help his clients and at the same time, you know, to turn this tremendous amount of time and energy and emotion that you spend on your work to be able to turn that into financial reward so, so that you can be taken care of, you know, as a caretaker, you also have to take care of yourself. That's super important. And we need money to do that. So yeah, I would say my brother, Don. Then Judith, who would be the uh, who has been the most impactful person in feeding your drive to do good and make an impact? My mom, definitely. She was the the inspiration behind the business when when my mom passed away. About three hundred people came to her service, and she had been a very loving, giving person that helped people, multiple people every single day. And just seeing the impact that she made 
you know, people got up and just gave story after story about how my mom had helped them. And so just seeing that made such an impact on me. I thought, wow, one person can help this many people. I'm just trying to follow in those footsteps. When you're having a bad day, what do you do to get yourself out of the funk? I have to try to remember that last time I was having a bad day that it, that it passed, you know, so, so trying not to get too caught up in it, knowing that things always do work out. You know, if I have fear about not having something done on time or not being prepared for something, I always remind myself, look, very seldom do you fall flat on your face. You always find a way to pick up those pieces, you know, because you're so passionate about what you do. And so I have to remind myself that, that things always do turn out okay. Judith, what book do you find yourself recommending to people most often? Oh, there's a book I love that really helped me when I was going through my tough time. And it's called Simple Abundance by Sarah Van Brethnack. And it is a book of daily meditations for how to lead an authentic life, how to figure out what it, what it is, what is it that makes you float and gets you and gets you going. It, that book really changed my life. Awesome. I haven't heard of that one. I'll definitely check it out and encourage our listeners to as well. So then lastly, Judith, what is the best piece of advice related to success that you would give our listeners? Um, I would say, and I think I may have mentioned it earlier, is to, is to do the best you can to stay out of fear, to know that, again, if you are really thinking about what you, your highest vision of yourself, and if your motivation is to use your skills and talents in service to others, that it will work out in some way. So of course, you know, fear of the unknown is very, very common, but the universe will open doors for you, uh, give you people to meet, give you answers to your questions. And it absolutely does. It does work out. Well, Judith, as you know, here on the show, we have what I like to call the do well and do good challenge. So this is where we encourage our listeners who want to do more to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by our guests. Could you share with us what organization you'll be nominating and why? Yes, I would love to nominate the Arc of Greater Cleveland. They work with people with disabilities to help empower them to be able to be the authors of their own lives. And I just love that. So they provide them with resources, with education, uh, with all kinds of things that they may need in order to live healthy lives, happy lives, full lives, uh, independent lives. And I think it's just a great organization. And as a Cleveland native myself, I'm especially excited to hear you nominate in that organization. That's great. So lastly, Judith, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about the Loving Hands group, and to follow your content? Our website is pretty comprehensive. That's a good place to see all of our, we have over a hundred different programs. So that's the best place to get the list. So that's www.lovinghandsgroup.com. And then people can always call me if they have any questions at 216-408-5578. Amazing. First time we've had a guest give their phone number on the show. I love that. And definitely we will link to your website in the show notes. And thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so much fun to have you on. Thanks for having me and thanks for everything you do. All right, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off from this chat with Judith, I want to introduce any new listeners to the Do Well and Do Good Challenge. There are 
two ways that you can participate. So the first is that if you are looking to do more to give back and the Ark of Cleveland or any of the other nonprofits nominated by our guests really touches your heart, then you can contribute and then send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co. Your donation to any of those nonprofits will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. Now, the second way to participate is by voting. See, on the first of each month, we host a vote inside of the free Facebook community to determine which of the nonprofits nominated the month before that I will then donate 10% of my advertising agency's profits to. So it's an awesome way that you can make your voice heard. It doesn't cost you a penny and it really does have a great impact. You know, we've been able to contribute to some really powerful organizations doing good in the world. So the other benefit is that once you're inside the Facebook group, you will receive tips, ideas, resources, and more that I'm posting in there almost every day. So head over to the Facebook group at dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook. I'll see you on the inside and thanks for listening.